five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. I said this was not a parable or a picture of heaven and hell. So I need to say to you what it is a picture of. This is a picture of where people went before Jesus came, died on Calvary, and rose again. It is a place called, in the Hebrew, Sheol. In the Greek, it's called Hades. Both of those words are translated hell in English. That's unfortunate, because this is not hell. This is a place where those who died before the death and resurrection of Jesus, were sent. They sent to this place that had two compartments or two regions in it. And at a person's death, this is all men who died before Jesus came, all men when they died and women, excuse me if I say men, you understand that, don't you? It's just, it's just I'm getting old and I've read my Bible and it always says men, so, but it's men and women as well. But if I say men, you'll excuse me, ladies, I'm sure. It's where everyone went who died before the coming of Christ because everyone died in their sins. That means the sin was still there in their soul. It, only, it takes the blood of Jesus only to wash away sin. You can get baptized in water. That doesn't remove your sin. It is the blood of Jesus that removes sin. And so the blood had not been shed on Calvary. Therefore, everyone who died before Jesus came died in their sins. Now, the moment they died, there was like an initial or superficial judgment by God. It wasn't an eternal judgment. It was just a quick judgment by God at death. People would either go to the lower region of this place, and the people that went there were called the wicked, or they went to a higher region where Abraham and men and women of faith were, and that was a place called paradise, we learn. So, when a person died, he had either followed the law of God that was in everyone's heart. Do you know you're born with the law of God inside you? When it says eternity is found in the heart of man, it means that the law of God is found in the heart of man. So, if a man never hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, he could still live according to the law of God in his heart. And men and women before Christ came... They lived by faith. Abraham lived by faith. Noah lived by faith. And because they lived by faith, God credited righteousness to them. But all of these people, even if righteousness was credited to them, died in their sins. Therefore, they could not go into the presence of God. 
They went to this region where the departed spirits went. Those who sought to walk with some understanding of faith in the law of God, God declared them righteous. And they went to where Abraham was. They were at his side. If you, can, if you know the authorised version, it says they went into the bosom of Abraham. But they were there standing with him. Those that give no thought or attention to the things of God, they live selfish lives, they live for themselves, they were instantly declared wicked by God and went to these two particular regions. That is what this passage is explaining to us. It is not a picture for us of heaven and hell. It is where all the saints went. The saints that went to this righteous region were waiting to be released so they could go into the presence of God. But they had to wait for a specific event to take place. Jesus had to go down there and release those people that were held. Those that God had declared righteous, they would be released. Let's turn away now to the death of Jesus Christ. We celebrated this on Friday. When I say celebrated, it's, it's more like we mourned it because we know the end from the beginning. So even though it was a time of mourning, a time of death, for us who know the end, it was a day of rejoicing. Sad, yes, because we see the Saviour dying in agony, but we know what happens three days later. On Friday afternoon, before the Sabbath, about three o'clock approximately, we know that Christ dies for the sins of the whole world. We know that he goes down into this place called Hades or Shoal, and we know at six o'clock on Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday, the soul of Jesus is brought into the body of Jesus and Jesus is resurrected from the dead. 40 hours. Isn't that interesting? That's the time. People fuss over the fact that it wasn't three days. Well, I understand that. It wasn't three days in hours. It was part of Friday, all of Saturday, and part of Sunday. But the total time that he was dead, dead in his body but alive in his soul, was 40 hours. And interesting. The hours in the Bible are the hours of completion. 40 hours. It, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. King David and King Saul reigned on the throne for 40 years. It is the time of completion. Jesus died on the cross, but the work of your salvation and your redemption did not finish on the cross. Christ had to go down into this place. He had to go into this region that we call Hades, and after 40 hours... He was raised from the dead for our justification. What did he do in that place? What happened? 
prior to Jesus going to the cross, he, that whole week, if we read it through, he had a very agonizing, tormenting experience. It was a time when a human being suffered more anguish, fear, and terror than anyone ever did on the face of the earth. It was that situation where he takes the 11 and they go into the Garden of Gethsemane. Eight of them, he leaves at the doorway and he says to the other three, you come with me and you support me and you pray with me because what I am facing is the most difficult, traumatic thing that any human being could ever face in the world. And so he starts to pray, and he says, God. Now, when I say that God was, or Jesus, was afraid, you say, well, we're not supposed to be afraid. Who said that? You're afraid all the time. It's what you do with the fear when it comes is the most important thing. You can either triumph over it or you can be overwhelmed by it and it dominates your life, the outcome of your life. Why is Jesus so overwhelmed with sorrow? What is it that is pressing so heavily upon him? You say, well, he, he had to die and, and sacrifice his life. No, no. Many have gone to a noble death. Many martyrs have held their head up high and they've been praying and they've gone with a sense of victory and triumph in their hearts to death. Even Stephen, we know when he was stoned, he could see into heaven and there must have been a sort of a, a positive glow on that man's face. What was it that so tormented Jesus? I believe he had grave questions whether he could go through the agony and the ordeal that faced him. He was going to go through some terrible stuff over the next few days. He would be arrested. It was like a night raid on him and they would take him in the darkness of night. He would be hauled before a kangaroo court in the middle of the night. It was an illegal thing they were doing. They should not have done that. They brought witnesses in who they had bribed to tell lies against him. He would be spat upon. He would be beaten. He would be humiliated. His closest friends would have all deserted him. Peter, that one who was so brash and forward, the one who would never leave him, never desert him, when it came to it, he disowned him. I know not this man. No, I have had nothing to do with him. One version of the word of God says, he cursed the Lord. He would be flogged mercilessly within an inch of his life. And then they would strip him naked and execute him on a gallows. Hang him 
for six hours until he was dead. And if he wasn't dead, they would smash his legs until he suffocated to death. You say, that's, that's a terrible, terrible thing. But you know, that's not what bore heavy on his soul. Yes, that is an awful thing to go through. But the thing that worried him, would he forgive his accusers? Would he insult the religious authorities of the day? Would he despise the soldiers? Would he hold Pilate in contempt? Would he blame his father for his death? Would he run away? Would he call angels? He was afraid that he might do any or all of those. But he knew this weight of the universe had been placed upon his shoulders. He knew that all those who were bound in Sheol, waiting for their liberation, they were depending on him. The man, Jesus. He is a man. He is a man dying on the cross. He is a man who is limited in his understanding and his revelation. He has to bear all of this without sin. Millions of people in the ages to come, we would be depending on what Jesus Christ did over those few hours. The destiny of the whole world, God's plan of the whole universe, the angelic beings, the Holy Spirit, God himself, their eyes were focused on this man, Christ Jesus. Would he be able to sustain such a savage, brutal attack from Satan? Would he be able to sustain this? He said, God... If there's another way, take it. Let's do it. It's unfair that this vast responsibility for the world has been placed upon me. Is there not another way? Is this your plan, God, that the whole of the universe would rest on the shoulders of one man? And that through what's going to come... I must never sin, never doubt, never question, never fight back, never argue, never insult. I must take it all upon myself. And as they're driving the nails into the hands of Jesus, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Before Herod, the, the foolish king, says, come on, do a miracle for me. Let me see you do a miracle. And he keeps silent. He didn't even think under his breath, this is a stupid, stupid man. Before Pilate, Pilate is so boastful before him. Do you not know, he says, I have the power to give you life or take it away. And Jesus humbly says, well, actually, that rests 
with my father, not with you. He has the power to give and to take life. The humility, the grace, the sinlessness of Jesus as he goes through the ordeal of the cross. He's hung. He does it perfectly. Do you remember they offered him the, the wine, as it were, with a drug in it to take away the pain? He says, no. He says, I'll suffer the pain. I have to suffer. And when it's finished, then I'll take a little drink from you. But meanwhile, I will not take anything to deaden or release me from some of this pain. Eventually at three in the afternoon, he says, God, I've done it. I've lived a sinless, spotless life, even through this terrifying ordeal. And now into your hands, I commit my soul and my spirit. And he moves from time into eternity. Eternity is not a measure of time. Eternity is where God dwells. Somebody put it like this. While our hearts are beating, the clock is ticking. But when the heart stops to beat, the clock stops ticking. And everybody who has ever been born and will be born, they step from time into eternity. Are you looking forward to it? You say, a few more years yet, Phil. It's all right for you. You're getting on in years. I am looking forward to stepping from time into eternity. A few more years left in me yet, probably. Like Paul said, it's good that I'm with you, but given the choice, I'd probably want to be with the Lord. I'd want to step from time into eternity. So Jesus, that afternoon, steps from time into eternity. And he goes down to this place called Hades. And I can see him standing next to Abraham. If we use this pictured illustration here. He stands next to him because he has a job to do there. Do you know what it is? It is to welcome the thief on the cross. Because he said to the thief on the cross, Today I will welcome you into paradise. The place of the departed spirits. The thief on the cross was not going yet into the presence of God because he still had his sin. It had not been cleansed and Jesus had not risen. So the two thieves come down from the cross together, the righteous one on one side and the wicked one on the other and the righteous one comes and Jesus says, Welcome to paradise. In that instant, in that short moment of time, in his agony, that man turned to Jesus, who was the saviour 
of the world. The wicked man bypassed the upper region and he was taken by the angel of death to the angel of Hades and held captive in the Roa Legion. What did Jesus then do for the next 40 hours? Although there were no hours in eternity. Can you imagine living without time? It's impossible. It's impossible. We're so conditioned to time and movement. But Jesus is in this place called Hades. Peter says what he does, and this is a mystery, and God has chosen to keep it a mystery. Jesus goes down to the lower region where the wicked people are. And he is able to preach or to proclaim or bring a herald's message to those who died thousands of years previous at the time of Noah in the flood. That's what it tells us. What did he say to them? What did he say to those people? I can use my imagination like you can. Maybe Jesus said, Do you know when Noah preached to you for 120 years, it was me preaching through Noah. And God made for you an ark of salvation because God always wants to save, always wants to deliver. He always wants to set you free. God is a saving, delivering, loving God. But he said, You rejected God's means of salvation, which is the ark. But he said, I, I am the ark. I am the ark. Did he say that? We don't know what he said. Some would suggest that maybe he preached to them and they received him now as their saviour and they were saved. I think those people want everybody saved. I don't believe it was that. You see, when, when I say I think or I believe, you're at liberty uh, not to go along with me. You've got your own ideas. Or God leaves space for us to develop some of our own ideas. Other people think that Jesus, because he suffered a physical death, he also had to suffer a spiritual death. And they will teach you that Jesus died spiritually, not only physically, but as he went down to this lower region, the angel of Hades drew him into the prison. And all those in the prison and those that were there, they mocked him and they ridiculed him. And Jesus was held captive in this prison Beaten even further by what happened. That's what some men think. There's nothing in scripture to substantiate that Jesus died spiritually as well as physically. But what we know, it says in the authorised, the pangs of death could not hold him. Jesus could not be held in that place. Jesus had to be released by death. So on that Sunday morning, a spirit came in upon the soul of Jesus and he was resurrected and his soul entered back into his body and he rose from the dead. 
whatever happened in Hades to Jesus, whatever it was, it completed the work of your redemption. You were not only saved in your body, but you were saved in your soul. The very being of yourself, when I say soul, I mean spirit and soul. It was redeemed that day. And we know as Jesus comes out, we know all of these saints before who were living by faith but had to go to this, what they call the nether world, this place called paradise, this positive region of Sheol or Hades. As Jesus came up, they came up too out of the place. What does the Bible say? It says in... Uh, let me have a look here. It says in Ephesians 4, 7 and 9, When he, that is Christ, ascended on high, he led captives, those that were captive, in this place called Sheol or Hades, those that were captive in the righteous section. He, he said, he led captives in his train as he is resurrected. These precious souls, the souls of these people, are released and they go into the presence of God. Jesus did something wonderful to prove the resurrection of the dead. Not all of those that rose from that positive place in Sheol went into the presence of God. A number of them, it says, they too received their resurrection bodies when Jesus received his resurrection body. Matthew 27, 52 and 53 says this, when Jesus rose from the dead, this is what happened. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life as well. They came out of the tomb and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. See, Jesus is saying, listen, this resurrection is not only for me. In the next world, you will not be some sort of ghost or spirit that floats around. Let me show you on this first day what happens. And a number of souls were resurrected. Where from? Their bodies had decayed and gone into the ground. And God has a blueprint for every person here. He knows how many hairs he put on your head. He knows everything about you. And just because your body decomposed and went into the ground, God says, right, all you elements of Philip, of Abigail, of Daphne, of Karen, you come together now. You come together now. And so the body is reformed. And the spirit and the soul enters into that body. Not a body of flesh and blood, but a body of flesh and bone. So what is it that generates life in a body with no blood? Could it be the glory of God? For one day you shall be glorified as he is glorified. If they cut you, it's not blood that's going to pour out of you in the next world. 
It is the glory of God. You say, that doesn't say it in the Bible. You're dead right. That's a bit of license for me. But something's going to flow through us to cause life to be in us. The life of God in us. The glory of God living in us. You say, Philip, how many people came out of the tombs? Was it hundreds or thousands? It says this in John 12, 23, 24. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. See, Jesus wasn't glorified until he came out of the grave. Then he had a glorified body. So the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. In other words, you're not going to believe this. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, as in the case of Jesus, it remains only a single seed. If Jesus had died and didn't rise from the dead, it would be a single seed, a rotten seed that you've placed in the ground and can produce nothing. It's dud. It's lifeless. It's dead. But the seed of Jesus was far from lifeless. And as it goes into the ground, it bears a crop. 30 60 or a hundredfold. As I meditated on this, I thought God probably raised a hundred people from the dead because the seed was the best seed that you could ever plant. You say, it doesn't say that in my Bible. You're dead right. Don't worry about it. I'll be honest with you. When it's not in there, I'll tell you. But when it is, I'll tell you. So we find a hundred People raised from the dead. They had the bodies that they lived in. Resurrection body. Look at your body. This is the body that you'll have for eternity. You go, no, God, please don't give me this one. It will be a body without the wrinkles of life, without the pain of life, without the death of life in it. Imagine you at your best, you at your strongest, you at your healthiest. Imagine you without the aging process, without any of that. A perfect body. Yes, Stephanie, a perfect body. A perfect body. You will never need a chair. We won't need walking sticks. We won't need blessed glasses. We won't need hearing aids, and I need one of them, I think, at times. We won't need this stuff. Our bodies will be our bodies. If it's not your body, it's not a resurrection. Jesus had that same body that he lived in. He said, look, this is me, Jesus, who was with you. And you will meet me and you will say, Phil, this is me. This is me. This is me that you met. It was me. Do you remember me? We had meals together, you and me. But you will have resurrection life you will be at your strongest your fittest we will recognize everyone who is there isn't that exciting because he lives we shall live also if it wasn't for this resurrection day it would have meant that the life that Jesus lived was marred with sin and he could never have resurrected But because he lived a sinless life, he lived it in our place. And so we will be resurrected as well. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. I said, God, what's death like once? What's it like? And he reminded me of what it was like to have an operation. You ever had an operation where they put you out? They count one, two, three, and you don't get to three. You're in cuckoo land. But it is a blackness. It isn't like sleep. Sleep is a restless thing. You seem to be half in and out of it all the time. But this is black, nothing. And it seems like a second later, you're waking up. You might have been there in that place on that surgery table for hours and hours and hours. But it's gone. See, we will pass from life through death into eternity. In a second, in a moment of time. So exciting. But we will not go down to Sheol. We will not go down to Hades. Because the apartment for the righteous is no more. Unfortunately, it's been filled with the wicked. When you die, your spirit, your soul, the same thing, the immaterial part of you will go into the presence of God. You will not be given a body. But when Jesus comes back to earth, it says the dead in Christ will receive their bodies. We will then come away from the presence of God. We will receive our glorified bodies and we will make the journey back to earth with Jesus. And those who are alive and remain on the earth, we will go to meet Jesus. We will go through time into eternity and we will be given our glorified resurrection bodies just like those who have dead and gone before. Those people held, the wicked that are held, they will have to stay there some period longer. But they will travel through a period when they will be raised again. The wicked will be given bodies. And somewhere in the universe or this earth, every wicked person will stand before the great white throne of God. And God will judge. Some will be lost. And some will be saved because God's judgment is fair. God knows everything. So at the great white throne judgment, not all will be condemned to a lost eternity. We have a hope. A hope in the resurrection. All of the things that you've suffered and all the pain and all the sacrifices you've made and all the hurt and everything else in your life, it will mean nothing when it comes to the resurrection. You won't say it was worth it all. What you'll say is it doesn't matter. We have a hope and our hope is in the resurrection. Do you know what keeps you walking a righteous, pure, spotless life? Hope. Hope in the resurrection. Are you looking forward to your resurrection? 
You go, well, first, Phil, I've got to die. I understand that. I won't say you're looking forward to that. But as you pass from this time into eternity, into the presence of the Lord, and then when Jesus comes, we will enjoy the resurrection. And it says, from that time on, we will never be separated from the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you love Jesus? If you don't love Jesus, that last thing I said don't mean anything. But if you love Jesus, it means everything. It means everything. Jesus is our all in all.